Hey listeners, you're listening to another exciting episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast where three friends get together and talk about a horror movie, which we will spoil. First, we'll talk about some recently watched, which we will try to not spoil. And we thank the Moonrays for giving us that song intro creature features at the top of the show. You can find the music on Apple Music or Amazon where you can buy it digitally and say hello to them on Facebook where they are the Moon Dash Rays. And uh, it's worth mentioning, we're not professional critics. We're just three friends talking about movies and stuff. So here we are, your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolian. Welcome. All right. We're back with the 1991. Oh. It's not from 97. (laughs) The 1990. You know, if you you draw your ones, I guess it could be from 79.97. Hmm. That would be terrible. Uh, 1991, Silence of the Lambs. Um, but first, some recently watched, but I want to ask you guys, uh, Jolene, did you have any new ideas about uh, how to cast Rob Zombie's The Monsters? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, Rob Zombie's The Monsters has occupied our minds all this time, <laughs> as, as it has the nations. I think so. There's not much else to talk about. No. Uh, yeah, I thought Dave Batista. As, as Herman. As Herman. Okay. Um, could Rob Zombie just keep growing his hair and play Cousin It? Yeah, I was thinking. I was, I was that's trying the to wrong think, show. Uh, Cousin It's oh, from that's, the Adams Family, isn't he? That's right. Uh, what was the? Uh, who, okay, Uncle Fester. Uncle Fester is the weird. Also from the Adams Family. Okay, Grandpa Monster. That's from the Monsters, right? No, that was also from the Adams Family. <laughs> <laughs> It was really a really confusing time. It really was. <laughs> yeah, they needed to have something to confuse Gilligan with. Yes. I mean, you wouldn't really confuse I Dream of Genie with Gilligan's Island, except for that intro where the bottle lands on the little island. You know, if Gilligan came out and found it, then... Oh, it why didn't they have a crossover? Now, I, 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 I didn't watch these shows. They weren't... You lucked good. out. Uh, well, I, I grew up in England... <laughs> Yeah, they where they were banned. <laughs> yeah, um, so they have I, a good I, I sense. Think Genie sounds just like Bewitched. It is exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. Although, to be fair, I have seen a number of terrible British sitcoms. So, <laughs> oh, don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, did you ever notice the Flintstones were exactly I, like I'm the Honeymooners? Not, I'm not yes. saying British TV is superior. No. One of my favorite scenes in American Wolf in London is when he uh, he's at the jenny agatha's apartment and he switches on the tv and he's just and there's like he's desperately trying to find stuff on tv and we only had three channels at the time and it's like the dumbest crud and it's (laughs) like yeah that's it that's it it's like because what what gets sold is all like the plush oh of course yeah the classic comedies and so on but there's so much drag Mm. 
Yeah, I remember a lot of Drek here, too. Oh, man. Like, I wanted to, I really, when I was a kid, I really wanted to love Dark Shadows. But it looked and felt exactly like a soap opera, where occasionally the guy transformed into a vampire and did not enough vampire stuff. As I remember, I, I could go back you know, and rewatch. That's probably, I think that's a prob- fair assessment. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's weird. Like, I don't know what it's like for kids growing up now, where there's no what they call appointment viewing. It's all just like, oh, you know, you stream what you want, when you want, where mm-hmm. you want. Like, you could be someplace you don't want to be with your parents, who you don't want to hang out with, but you just whip out your phone and watch whatever you want to watch. <laughs> I mean, it sounds miraculous and cool to me, but it also sounds like they're a bunch of spoiled babies. Yeah, I just play or read books or draw. Yeah. Yeah, you'd, if you were going on some long car trip, you would bring stuff to do. But it wasn't a magical phone. Uh, wow, really digressing there. Um, so, uh, any new thoughts? Like, who could play Eddie Munster? Mm. I'm trying to think, like... Is there a kid? Thinking that- Rob Zombie should play Eddie Munster. <laughs> sure. The beard and everything. Ooh, maybe the guy that he had for Mini Hitler in 31. The, the little person that played Mini Hitler. Could- I'm sorry, I've erased 31 from my memory banks. Uh, I'm thinking Clint Howard. Clint Howard Ooh. as Eddie Munster. <laughs> yeah. So, let's see who would. It was Grandpa Monster. I think you have to go with um, uh, William Forsyth. <laughs> mm, okay. do, I, do I have the right Forsyth? The one that was in uh, Rob Zombie's Halloween? The stepdad? Mm. That is William, right? No? I don't know. Oh, okay. Maybe. Anyway, sure, why not? That guy. He, he's, he's grouchy. He's mean. He would have to swear a lot, though which I'm really interested to find out if that's going to be a thing. Um, uh, did you guys hear about the Candyman uh, uh, remake with its new release date? I think it's August. Now, uh, isn't it? August, I think, 28th. So 2023. They, <laughs> they didn't kick the can quite that far down the road, but they did kick it 2032. down the road. 2032. Yeah. It's like, you'll all be dead by then. And we put it in a canister and it won't be open for 100 years. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Yeah, this could just be the uh, the twist ending of a Twilight Zone episode that Jordan Peele could be laughing at us all. It's an urban legend. Oh, we'll say there's a new Candyman. Yeah. We'll make a trailer and that's it. Yeah, I think that's, we've been duped. But yeah, we should, we should if, if all is well and everything is safe, we should all just go to the movie theater and watch the thing. Fingers crossed that it doesn't disappoint. But so far, so good with Jordan Peele. Although he's the producer. He's just the producer, so. Yeah. But. Hey, is he going to put his name on something terrible? Never. Uh, if they gave him enough <laughs> money, <laughs> money <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> yeah. If, if, there's a, if, the, if the truck full of money. With the check cleared, yeah, I'll put my name on it. <laughs> right. Uh, recently watched. You guys got anything uh, recent and watched that you no, want to talk about? No, I didn't watch anything between this episode and last. You've, you've not cracked open Fringe or not Sleepless. yet. It's uh, it's been uh, too hot to watch TV for the most part. We've been sitting outside a lot. 
Yeah, it it's been it's, uh, a roller coaster. Been of, real toasty here lately. Yeah, um, yeah. For me, it was really simple. A couple more episodes of Mosquito Coast and Clarice, uh, both of which I recommend. And uh, okay. yeah, you just have to. Uh, I think Clarice is on that CBS platform all access and yeah. uh you you can catch uh the mosquito coast on uh, apple tv with whatever kind of uh subscription you could finagle hopefully free for long enough to binge it i think it's only seven episodes for that first season julian you had some on your list yes you? awesome let's hear them <laughs> uh there's another shutter pick for you uh beyond the door three what? Ooh. I didn't even know there was a two. This is from 1989, not 1997. <laughs> okay. Uh, directed by Jeff Quitney. This is uh, also known as The Train, a.k.a. Death Train, a.k.a. Amok Train. Um, this is a third entry in a fake series. Hmm. This is one of those series, in quotes, where they they clustered together films which have nothing to do with each other. But, but the first one has a name... You know, bankable names, so they put it in the same. Series. So they, they put stickers on the other two. Yeah. So uh, as far as the American releases were concerned, at least the the, the uh, Beyond the Door series, uh, the first one was uh, an exorcist Italian ripoff called Kise. Um, that one's good. Uh, okay. Directed by Video Asinitis, who is also a producer on this one, and the second one uh, was a movie by. Mario and Lamberto Bava called Shock. Oh. A.K.A. Shock Transfer Suspense Hypnos, <laughs> which has one of the all-time great jump scares in it. Hmm. You've seen that one, right? Mm-hmm. Does it have a cat? Yeah, it's a fantastic jump scare. It doesn't involve a cat, that particular one. Okay. But it's a practical f- effect, too. Oh, yeah. Hmm. It comes out nowhere. cannot be spoiled. Right, it has right. to be seen. No, I don't even think I could describe it. No. I want to see this thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, Beyond the Door 3, uh, you've got Bo Svensson in it. I think he's the only name actor in it. He plays this uh, Serbian professor hmm. named uh, Professor Astrombolek. You've got seven students who are studying Croatia, and they go to Serbia to see a ritual. This was filmed during the Civil War. Wow. Hmm. Um, so they, they had to take breaks from filming because war. Yes. Um, so the professor and the villagers pretty quickly, I mean, they straight away take the bunch of kids to this village where they uh, they find themselves captured, and there's a, some kind of ritual going on, and the uh, the virgin has been picked out, and uh, so nasty things are going to happen. That that happens really fast. Um, the virgin's named Beverly. Um, uh, Richard the Black one gets turned into a dummy and burns to death. Hmm. Um, Story of my life. <laughs> uh, four of them make it onto a train which is going nearby. And uh, uh, pretty soon after that, the, the train crew are killed in various gory ways. And uh, it becomes Runaway Train, if, if, you, if you ever saw that movie. Mm-hmm. Great great thriller written by Akira Kurosawa. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it becomes a version of that. Um, this film's got really good photography. It's really impressive uh, production. And the editing's good. Uh, the gore's enthusiastic, I will say. Mm. In that Italian manner of... Uh, uh, they couldn't really 
pull it off but they but went they for, it anyway. for it anyway oh, man. <laughs> and they'll show it really clearly in slow <laughs> yeah. motion um uh, terrible miniatures uh it's unbelievable there's this bit you've seen killer car movies uh-huh yeah um this is a killer train this what one, this train is possessed and uh so two of the students didn't make it onto the train and they 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 go. There's lots of cutaways to the scenes of them going cross country, being pursued by the villagers. And uh, at one point, they they find this uh, like a low bottom boat, and they they start punting across a, a lake. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the train's going to get them. <laughs> so at one point, it just makes the tracks go askew, comes off the tracks, goes across country, <laughs> goes through a forest. Goes across the lake and kills the two students. I will say it once again: the Italians make the best movies. Yeah, Uh, I mean, they were—they definitely, uh, I mean, they definitely peaked. Uh, The late eighties is not a good period for Italian horror, but this one I recommend because it's just so nuts. Yeah, it sounds like. Yeah, watch that one. Um, Yeah. it's it's like um what did I write? It's like a midsummer with more train on train action. Because <laughs> <laughs> there is train on train action in this movie. This train does not like other trains. Okay, I like um, I like that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Beyond the Door three. Check it out. It's on a shadow. All right. Uh, here's another Italian treat for you. Well, well, this is a Lucio Fulci movie. Ooh. Uh, this is a, one of his giallo. It's called A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Good name. Um, it's a very giallo title. Yeah. Uh, this one's... Someone actually says that in the movie, which is impressive. Uh, this is uh, filmed in London. Uh, it's got a very dreamy opening. Five minutes of no dialogue. Uh, sex and madness. Um, you've got this woman named Carol, who's a bored wife of a politician who's always going off and he's having an affair with somebody. And she's projecting her sex fantasies onto a neighbor who she's not actually met. Um, the fantasies get increasingly violent. The neighbor turns up uh, brutally murdered, just like in a dream. And so she becomes the suspect. And, um, uh, you know, so standard yellow stuff. Um, uh, this one's infamous for a scene where you see uh, eviscerated dogs. Oh, no. Which uh, they had to prove were faked. But if you watch it, I mean, it's um, this is a forty movie. He's not going to show you a quick glimpse of gore. No, he's going to show you it, and then he's going to zoom Keep in on it. it. <laughs> You're going to get a good look at this stuff, and it's obviously <laughs> faked. Oh man, which I was glad about. Oh yeah. Um, there's uh, there's a scene like in um, like you get in Suspiria later on, where uh, a woman has to pile up a rickety pile of stuff in this case suitcases in order to escape through a high exit there's mm-hmm. killers after her um, when this movie has people talking it gets pretty dull but when it just shuts up and it's just like the, the fantasies and the, the murder sequences and the, the stalkings and so on uh, it's pretty darn good good it's very Excellent. very modish early 70s um Watched uh, Crush Groove, which is probably my favorite of the hip hop musicals. Crush Groove from 1985. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. This yeah. is this is and unlike a lot of them, this has got a great lineup. Uh, 
So it's Run DMC, Sheila E, mm-hmm. Fat Boys, Beastie Boys, New Edition, Curtis Blow, etc. Um, it, it's, it's weird having the perspective that we do now because, like, uh, in this movie, you get about a minute and a half of the Beastie Boys, and then and then you get five minutes of the Fat Boys eating, <laughs> oh god, and singing about eating, and you're like, yeah, who had the mm. longest, <laughs> yeah, biggest influence here? Um, but uh, yeah, it's fun. It, yeah, I mean, it, it's never boring. It's, you know, there's always something fun going on. Uh, the Water in the Woods, which is um, a movie I've wanted to see for quite a while. Disney does horror. Oh uh-huh, yeah. Um, when they're not trying to do horror, they've done some scary movies. Like uh, I think Vincent Price said, Snow White's the scariest movie you ever saw. <laughs> um, you know, because like a, uh, I think this one would be scary for kids. I was gonna say, what what did you think of this? Because this this was a real popular one when I was a kid. This, mm-hmm. uh, I've not seen it since I was a kid, but I remember really liking it and thinking it was you know fairly creepy. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. They, they don't hold back on it being a no. ghost movie uh, until the end. It goes off the rails because apparently this is directed by John Hugh, who did um, Incubus. Mm. Did he do? Um, the Legend of Hell House. Um, anyway, sure. uh, this this stars uh, Bette Davis. Uh, Lynn Holly Johnson is the main star. Um, she she's good. Uh, she holds her own against like all these these big names. Uh, Ian Bannon's in it. David McCallum's in it. Um, so uh, she she's part of this uh, family who uh, they get this uh, big posh home in the country for suspiciously cheap. Uh, <laughs> The home belongs to Bette Davis, who's who's got this uh, this like groundskeeper's cottage on the grounds, um, and something's watching them from the woods. Uh, there's a disappeared girl who uh, apparently looks a lot like the Lynn Holly Johnson character. Hmm. Um, so yeah, and, and uh, this 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 would be pretty scary for kids. Um, but but apparently this was. Uh, it was just a bit too scary in its original version, mm. and uh, the the studio cut it up quite a bit. Apparently, I've heard there's a whole there's like it involves other dimensions, and they film this whole scene with these monsters in another dimension, but they dropped all that. Wow! Um, Usually, that's the kind of thing that gets added. Yeah, uh, maybe it was just too intense. I don't know. Oh. Uh, but as far as I know, that footage. Doesn't lost. exist anymore, and uh, the ending of that they turned it into for this one is is pretty confused. Hmm. Doesn't make sense. Um, there's things the characters say they have to do in order for something to happen, and then they don't do it. But <laughs> but it doesn't <laughs> it see, affect anyway. the outcome. And they lived happily ever after. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, it's Disney. That um, sounds right. Let's see, and then uh, the <clears throat> other one I saw was uh, Humongous. Uh, this is one of those films I saw when I was a kid on videotape and I wasn't very impressed by it, but I wondered, watching it in England, has it been cut? Is it too dark because it's on videotape? So it's been restored for Blu-ray and uh, uncut, and I watched it again and, and I thought pretty much the same thing. Mm. Too dark. That's too bad. Uh, feels like it's cut. There's just no... There's a bit of gore at the start, and it's, it's well done, and, and then there's there's like nothing for <laughs> for a long long time uh so humongous is a canadian slasher no they're, they're usually good the does, canadian slashers does it have a pit and some kids in it it has kit it doesn't have 
little kids. It okay. has 20-somethings. Oh, well. Um, so uh starts on Labor Day, so if you're looking for a Labor Day slasher. Yeah, hey, uh, all right. starts on Labor Day, 1946. Uh, drunk is a harassing woman named Ida at a party. Uh, chaser, chases her into the woods and rapes her. It's, uh, it's a pretty uh, uh, horrible scene. And uh, mostly done through her POV. And then her dogs, including one named Major, hmm. uh, run up and rip up the guy. That's the gory bit. Wow. And uh, she finishes him off with a rock. And then the credits and uh, shows her growing up. And then it cuts to 1982. Uh, a bunch of young people who, uh, three of them are siblings. And uh, they're on a, they're cruising around the islands and uh, off Vancouver, presumably. And um, they don't seem to like each other. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, then they, they end up stuck on the island and uh, uh, where this, this woman is said to live. And uh, they're, they're stranded there with a, a boatman they've picked up, they've rescued. And uh, she's supposed to live on this island in a big house and she's been breeding her dogs. So she's got a whole pack of dogs running wild on the island and they hear howling and growling. And... Um, uh, but uh, something else is going on in this island, which is the humongous of the title. Oh, okay. Um, so as I say, it's very dark. When it gets into the night scenes, it's really hard to make out. And also the camera gets too close to what's going on. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure whose fault that was, whether it was the photography or the lab print. Um, we don't see a kill until 77 minutes into this movie. Hmm. And... Uh, there's two of them. Um, one of them's a bear hug. <laughs> uh, one of them's a head crush. There's a terrible flub in the final shot. Like uh, the final girl, she she has to kill the uh, the antagonist with a, an, an impro- improvised weapon, I'll say. Uh, but then in the final shot, which is like a freeze frame under the credits, that weapon's right there in the background oh. uh, where she picked it up to start with and it's right back in position so. like the bullet holes in the wall in Pulp Fiction <laughs> <clears throat> they're there before they happen yeah so uh, it's unfortunate uh, yeah, I never noticed that but um, yeah. it's, it's really obvious so uh, yeah this isn't much of a recommend okay <laughs> that's fair yeah those movies they always the, the groups of friends always seem to hate one another and you wonder why do these people hang out yeah, yeah. why are you taking days journey into the yeah. wilds to with get people there? i hate <laughs> yeah if, the, if, if there was a group of friends and somebody was bringing this jerk with them mm-hmm. you, re- you understand you re- that yeah you yes. can rethink whether you want to go on the trip and it's like well maybe they'll tone it down while they're there or whatever unless you know there's a killer in the woods yeah then you you're like hmm all my enemies <laughs> yeah or, and they do uh, look after each other once they realize they're in deadly peril but that's like halfway through the movie and then oh, yeah. by that time you're like you're not sympathizing with them yeah so, so silence of the lambs silence of the lambs now this is Almost 1997, Silence of the Lambs. Rob Zombie's 1997, Silence of the Lambs. Uh, No, this is 1991, to be clear. Um, You fuck one goat. (laughs) 
You've heard that joke, right? What about Rob Zombie? <laughs> Uh, This is a 1991 American psychological horror film directed by Jonathan Demme and written by Ted Talley, adapted from Thomas Harris's 1988 novel. Now, this one, like I was about to say, is is too easy to just say, all right, well, let's pick a good film and this one's good. Uh, It definitely borders on whether or not you could call it a horror movie, but considering some of the things that happen in it, I've seen horror movies where nothing that horrible happened, so let's just say more horror, less psychological on this one, because it doesn't get into your head as much as it just gets in front of you with the horrors that happen. Um, this one, I like, I like to point out that not only did it gross $272.7 million on a $19 million budget, but it also uh, went on to win lots of awards and uh this one um now let's see it was best five academy awards yeah five academy awards including best director uh for demi for jonathan demi on this one am i getting that right Mm -hmm. um and uh, international awards also uh the movie competed for the um, the Golden Bear at the 41st Berlin International Film Festival. Uh, Demi received the Silver Bear for Best Director. So, yeah, um, let's see. When was the last time this happened? It was... I think it was only three movies that got five Academy Awards. Yeah. There's a, I think it, was in, it happened one night. Ben-Hur was the other one? Uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's one Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's yeah. Nest, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so best... And pic- Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> yes. Best best picture, best director, best actor, best actress, and best adapted screenplay. So when we're, we're talking about, why just get one Oscar when you can get five? So, yeah, and it was widely considered a horror film. Um, it still is. Yeah, I mean, but in its day, it was only one of a handful that were, you know... Uh, in the running like that for Academy Awards yeah. or, or winning awards like uh, Exorcist, uh, The Exorcist, um, Jaws, Sixth Sense, Black Swan, and Get Out were some that happened since. Um, well, yeah, it was very rare at the time. Yeah, or a movie would even get considered. Yeah, but yeah, prior to this, The Exorcist and Jaws, that was kind of it, right? Yeah, I think the only Oscar for a horror movie role was uh, Frederick March in Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Nice. That was it. Yeah. Until um, Kathy Bates. In yeah, in Misery. Misery, yeah. Yeah, short lists. And uh, some really some really great performances. I mean, this thing was cast exceptionally yeah. well. And, you know, Jonathan Demme has, has this style. And he likes to frame the characters and, uh, you know, slow dolly in. Uh, he, he lets his characters look at the camera and there's there used to be this rumor that uh, Anthony Hopkins didn't blink the whole scene. He does too. He does deliberately. Yes. Um, but yeah, he, he had this friend back in London who didn't blink much mm-hmm. when he was talking to, and it was really disconcerting. Yes. And I think the long span of time where he doesn't blink had fooled people into thinking he doesn't blink in the whole scene, but he does. But you're right; it's yeah, it's at moments, and it's very important. I think all the all the shots of other people uh, looking into camera because you're seeing the POV of Clarice. Right. And then when you're 
the reverse angle, she's looking just off camera. Oh, yeah. That is awesome. <laughs> I, I really want to actually, even though I just watched this recently, I want to watch it again. And uh, So you guys watched this uh, again for the first time in a while? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. How long had it been? Uh, 1991. <laughs> Not 97. <laughs> no. I watched this when it came out on video, and that's the last time that I watched it. That was it? Yeah. Wow. And yet, uh, rewatching it last night, there were so many scenes that I remember exactly. Oh, yeah. It's like, wow, this movie made a real impression. It stuck with me because, no, I hadn't seen it. I may have seen like a bit, a piece here or there when it was on TNT or something, you know, flipping right. through the channels. But no, I've never watched it all the way through but the one time. Yeah, it's, it's amazing uh, the impact it made. Uh, there were plenty of people who wouldn't normally go out for something that was an actual horror movie who went out for this because it, it had such a reputation. Now, I had already seen at this point Manhunter mm-hmm. and was familiar with the character of Hannibal Lecter. And uh, that was... Uh, um, was it David Cox? Is that the guy's name? Um, Brian Cox. Brian, Brian Cox. Cox. Uh, the, the guy from Super Troopers. <laughs> He was Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, he does a great job. And it's like, who could do it better? Well, that question was answered. Anthony Hopkins could do it better, you know, or at least in his own way. But, uh, yeah, what was uh, what was it like for you, Jolie? When's the last time you watched this one? Yeah, I saw it theatrically the first time. Yeah. Oh, somehow. wow. Yeah. Pretty sure I did, too. And then... Pro- so I remember the audience freaking out. Definitely saw it in the theater. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, there's a room full of people, many of which don't know what they're in for. Yeah, I mean, as John Waters has uh, has, has said, um, the mainstream has this infinite capacity for absorbing uh, what it used to condemn or yeah. what, what is freakish or offensive. It absorbs it. So I think this is this is about halfway between Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And the 21st century revival of American horror mm-hmm. and uh, hardcore gore films coming back. Uh, this is about halfway point, and uh, so this you can see this movie. Even if you don't think it's a straightforward horror movie, it's absorbed horror movies. Mm-hmm. You've got slashers. You've got Texas Chainsaw. Definitely, yeah, is all over this. Um, so Psycho. Yeah, so oh, yeah. Uh, it's absorbed all that stuff, and then and then you can then you can go forward, you know, and you've got like seven and so on mm-hmm. a few years later. But but yeah, you go forward another dozen years or so, and and then uh, yeah, there's always horror movies, and there's like procedurals. You've got Saw, um, you know, the, the twists and yeah, the psychology of the killer. Um, you know, they used to do a lot of that in the 50s, but uh, that, that kind of really came back strongly this century, um, having to do the backstory of mm-hmm. the antagonist. Now, was was there any claim that um, the Buffalo Bill character or Hannibal Lecter had uh, any, any, uh, any sort of uh, basis in, in uh, the Ed Gein story, like... Uh, did, did, was there any claim to this? Because yeah, I yeah, know because the the sewing the yeah, skin I imagine suits. 
Yeah, I mean, it's obviously derived from, but do, do we know that if, uh, um, oh, what was his Thomas name? Thomas Harris. Thomas Harris, that, that he intended that? Probably. Because I think uh, it was Robert Block that wrote Psycho, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, he, de- he definitely deliberately uh, had uh, derived some of his uh, Norman Bates stuff from Ed Gein. Yeah. Which was pretty recent in history at the time. Mm-hmm. Buffalo Bill definitely has some Ed Gein going on for me, whether it was deliberate or not, or if it's just imagery they wanted. Or yeah, he he has several real life killers. Yeah, going. Yeah, this is this is really uh, one of those movies where you can kind of smell the room that it's in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like I think Seven uh, had a lot of that too. Uh, Angel Heart, you know, you could just kind of s- smell the the environment just by seeing the movie. This is one of them. Um, yeah, that whole Danny Peary production design that you had in Texas, Chainsaw, that that was really came back in the two thousands, and uh, that that kind of grotty green, yeah, mm-hmm. layer and all the all the bits and pieces lying everywhere. Mm. Yeah. The, the, this one, I, I, I like the fact that you got such a uh, contrast between, like, we we meet Clarice Starling and she's out for a run. Uh-huh. And Demi does this wonderful thing with all these sweeping moves of the camera. You know, he's he's doing all these pans and these long tracking shots and this wonderful stuff. And, uh, and then we get, later in the movie, we get some of these confined spaces like... Uh, you know, Lecter's cell or the, uh, or Buffalo Bill's lair and all these things where you're just confined and you mm-hmm. can't move. You know, we see the pit, we see Lecter's cell, we see Clarice waiting to get in or get out of the, you know, the hallway and all that stuff. Yeah, the other thing I like about the opening is, uh, she's, a she's really deglamorized. She's sweaty. Yeah. She's in baggy clothing. Um, and uh, and then when she gets to uh, meeting Hannibal Lecter, she's dressed up. Yeah, got makeup on. And and he's on to them right away. You know, he knows that. You know, she's an attractive woman, and and she's smart, and she's interesting, and he hasn't seen anybody like her in years mm-hmm. at this point. Uh, his posture, okay. Anthony Hopkins has this like military at attention sort of pose when she first meets him. He's standing like a soldier, which I found like the first time I saw that, I found that really striking and watching it again. It's like that didn't change. I mean, you, you meet him and he's just got this delighted yet contained look on his face. And and that is just the, the best thing about, you know, Anthony Hopkins. He knows the character. He is. He becomes the character, and, uh, and and I'm digging this one right off the get, and and because uh, we go right, right from, like you said, the the sweaty jog to, boom, we're we're in we're in the story, you know. There's not a lot of build. It's just like we're plunged into what's going on. Um. Uh, what was the. Uh, the, the gross guy in the next cell, Miggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he flicks semen at uh, Clarice. Yeah. And this is a this is a device for us to find out that Lecter didn't like that. Mm-hmm. 
and he got in the guy's head somehow and made him kill himself by swallowing his own tongue or something. Yeah, which you'd have to, you'd have to cut off your tongue to do that. Yeah, yeah. There used to be a concern about swallowing tongues where they would take your wallet and stick it in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, if you're having an epileptic fit. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good scam if you ever need to make money. It, it's, it's a two-person scam. <laughs> Somebody has a seizure, a fake seizure, and then you have the friend who's, you know, a supposed stranger tell somebody, oh, stick your wallet in their mouth. He's going to choke in his tongue. And then the fake seizure guy gets up and runs away. If you ever need to, that's a quick way to grab someone's wallet. And All right. That's your tip All for right. the week, listeners. Yes. Tip of the week. <laughs> it's a good way to steal a wallet. Um, or, you know, someone's watch. I have to time his pulse. Let me have your watch. And your wedding ring. <laughs> the other thing that he does with the POV is um, uh, eliminating the distance between them. Oh, yeah. Um, so the camera gets closer until you don't see the surrounding uh, struts of the, the wall. Yeah, mm-hmm. or the glass. Yeah, the glass is completely clear. Yeah. And that that's another thing that crops up in more recent films so mm-hmm. Khan has it Magneto has it the, the mm. glass cells they stick yes. super villains in true yeah it's it's like there there is less and less between them till there's nothing between them and they're yeah yeah he he really admires her right away yes he knows that she's not as sharp as him in some ways but he knows she's a formidable presence in his life and maybe fun to play with. Mm-hmm. So then it's the game is on. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Um, so what was your favorite thing on the rewatch, Will, other than being so thrilled to know that you remembered all these scenes <laughs> uh, so accurately? I don't know. I just, I was taken by how good the movie was. Uh, just all around. Uh, that said, I did find Jodie Foster's accent a bit fake. Yeah, was it a little wobbly for you? It was a little wobbly. I couldn't quite tell what it was. But it seemed... Maybe because I know her actual voice, but I know Anthony Hopkins' voice. He he does an accent in this. He does fine. It's just something about it didn't sound quite believable. She's supposed to be West Virginia or something? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, she's in Quantico, yeah. so she's kind of... Eugenia said not her part of West Virginia, so... No? Okay. So, uh, yeah, this... Uh, but this is uh, somebody who comes from, uh, like, uh, kind of rough beginnings, as mm-hmm. we're told, as the story goes along. And they kind of dig into that in the series, the Clarice series, where they... Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like she's got some sort of memories that she can't quite recover and uh they keep making her go to the shrink for whatever reason and she's starting to remember bits and pieces of something and i'm thinking well in this one all she really needs is the one she talks about where you know she's you know suddenly without parents and is on a farm and then has to hear lambs getting slaughtered that's pretty horrific for a kid yeah and she tries to make a run for it well, that's very touching to Hannibal Lecter, apparently. 
Did you like his drawings? Yeah. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so, considering this might be a horror movie, might be a procedural, might be somewhere in between, there is a supernatural element in this movie. What is it? Hannibal Lecter stares at a pen, and then later it appears mm, mm-hmm. in his mouth. But we never see how he gets that pen. And he's tied to a furniture dolly at the time. But he stares intently at it. And later in the movie, he has the pen piece in his mouth. To, to pick the handcuff lock. Uh-huh. Um, it was does, magic. There was only explanation there. Well, we saw that the doctor couldn't find his pen. Uh-huh, sure. Was was Hannibal Lecter restrained at that moment? Yep. Yeah, yeah he's, he's strapped to that. He's strapped to a furniture dolly, and he has not the, the one mask with the little gross mouth cut out, but just like the hockey mask is smashing his nose down. Yeah. Yeah. And he's staring intently at the pen, which is laying on his bed on a towel. And then the scene ends. So he levitates it. Yes. Okay. So Yuri Geller does it. Everyone's fine. Hannibal Lecter does it. (laughs) It was the only thing that really caught me in this watch was like, how did he get that pen? Mm -hmm. It's not explained. Yeah, it did stand out to me that the doctor was like, where's my pen? And he's patting himself Mm -hmm. down. I mean, they did that on purpose. So you knew later when he had the pen, oh, that was the doctor's pen. But there was no way for him to get that pen unless the doctor left it in his cell, which seems Uh, hard to believe. Yeah, that would seem like a really big, stupid move. So it was magic. Um, did you uh, did you like where things went after he picked the handcuff lock? <laughs> that that scene. Yeah. Yeah, where he's he's in the in that uh, surround with the two guards. Yeah. That. It's what what is it like when he's got that that uh, baton and he's killing the guy? What does it What does it look like he's doing to you guys? I don't know. What are you getting at? Um, his motions. What does it look like he's doing? And he's poking his face. Yeah, but he looks almost like he's conducting an orchestra. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Like he's... I can see that, yeah. Like he's sort of pretending... Um, yeah, that's that's a crazy escape right there. The Guardian of Viscerates is played by Charles Napier. Mm-hmm. He's a great character actor. Yep. He was, the, in, he was one of the Ross, Ross Meyer regulars in the 70s. The, the, the big guy with the kind of craggy uh-huh. face? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at him going, I know this guy. He's got he's been a cowboy, he's been a prison guard. Oh, yeah, been... you, you can I mean yeah. you, you got you obviously got Roger Corman. Yep. That was the other one. Roger Corman's in this. Yeah, there's, there's uh, George Romero's in it. Oh, where's George in this one? I didn't Did you see, see him. Oh, I didn't see him. When they uh, you know that so you got the scene with the cage in the museum. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and then the FBI comes in after he's he's killed the <clears throat> guards. Uh-huh. And uh, the guy on the walkie-talkie is George Romero. Oh, wow. Okay, okay now, now I want to rewatch this. Yes. No, that totally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched it a few nights ago, and I want to rewatch it. I'm surprised I didn't catch that. Now, do you know much about the whole uh, history with Roger Corman and Jonathan Demme? Like, um, yeah, so like, he was like one of the Corman... Discoveries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, Do you know what he worked on? Because I am blank on this one. Oh, uh, Caged Heat? Yeah, Caged Heat was one of them... I, do you remember <laughs> there's certain requirements of that genre that he had to meet 
mm-hmm. I would say. <clears throat> but I think he was... Uh, well, if you're going to do a woman in prison movie... Yeah. Yeah, you're required to do certain things. But he, I'm sure, tried to elevate that even. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, okay. Well, I want to I wanna see that or see it again. I'm not even sure if I've seen it. But. Yeah, and there's lots of, there's like four or five directors in this movie, including Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. Um, Diane Baker's in this. Yeah. Um, she She's the senator, I think. Mm, okay. She was in Journey to the Center of the Earth. The 1959 version, uh, Marnie, Marnie, and uh, Straightjacket. Okay. Uh, Chris Isaac's in this. Yes. Roger <laughs> Corman's in this. A um, couple guys from Seinfeld are in it. <laughs> Wayne uh, Knight is one of them, the, right? <laughs> uh, director of photography is Tak Fujimoto, who was with Corman. He did um, Death Race 2000. Okay, I just clicked on his on on his uh, uh, profile here, and he worked on Caged Heat also. Mm. <laughs> so they worked together on that one. That's crazy. Um, yeah, he worked on Where the Buffalo Roam, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, <laughs> a lot of stuff. I mean, Fujimoto's stuff looks great. It it's uh, it's funny how like. 80s and 90s you had some of these cinematographers that were just really you know excited to be using all the all the new technology because you know you'd just recently gotten the steady cam and a few other you know trick pieces of equipment and they could do stuff they couldn't do before and uh just making stuff look so smooth um gladiator was another one he worked on so fujimoto's got this really nice resume <laughs> so yeah Good work on this one. Um, I was confused a little bit the first time I saw this as to you think that the that the FBI is is kicking down the door of Buffalo Bill, mm-hmm. and it turns out they're they've gotten a bum steer and they're in the wrong spot, yeah. and she's figured it out, and Clarice is in the right spot. She doesn't know she's in the right spot. She doesn't. She thinks she's following a lead. Yeah. And it turns out uh she's found Buffalo Bill. And this is this is crazy. Um the way this all kind of culminates and she's there and, and uh what's the character's name who's in the in the well at the time? Uh Catherine. Catherine. Uh, she's in the well and she's figured something out that if she can get Precious the little dog, mm-hmm. you know, yanked down in there that she could get control of Buffalo Bill. So she's managed to sort of do the final girl thing, the survivor thing. And, uh, and I'm, I'm really impressed with, you know, what the characters are doing and the actors who are playing them, but how shaky Clarice is. She's not just storming in like this badass. Yeah. Like she's really trembling. Yeah. She's really terrified. And I also liked how, uh, uh, the, the, the victim in the well is not like, oh, you're, you've arrived to save me. She's like, get me out of here, you <laughs> fucking bitch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which you, you, a lot of times in these movies, you see somebody who's just like, uh, uh, they're afraid, you know, to let their their uh, person who's liberating liberating them uh, take them out of the situation, and she's <laughs> she's barking at her to get her out of there right now. That was pretty neat. Um, 
yeah, this one, this one, uh, it's so satisfying, you know, each step of the way, each part of the journey to get you to the, the big ending. But, uh, yeah, that big rescue scene and the fact that the rest of the FBI is just a bunch of boobs and they're in the wrong place. And it's like, oh, okay. And then, uh, the, the, the big, the big ending. Did you remember the ending, Will? Mm -hmm. And did you remember how much of a dick that doctor was that, that was, uh, <laughs> Uh, that, that was uh, uh, had him un under uh, oh Chilton yeah yeah <clears throat> I found it uh, impressive that they actually filmed in the Bahamas for that last scene yeah <clears throat> I can only imagine that Anthony Hopkins had a writer that he he wanted to see the beach <laughs> yeah <laughs> just the sea for just for once yeah. He's like, oh, I want the scene to be in Bimini. <laughs> yeah, why is that? Because. Because <laughs> watching it at the very end, it was like, it'd be funny if this was like Venice, that they ran down there and filmed this, you know, right at the end with the, no money left. Right. Like, oh, this looks kind of tropical. There's some guy just lifting weights <laughs> with Speedos on. <laughs> Get that guy out of the shot. Get those yeah. rollerbladers out of the shot. And it's the longest shot ever. You know, there's like... Yes, I watched it all the way to the end. <laughs> so did I. Great show. Some guy, some kid rolls by on a bike doing wheelies. And yeah, some other kids come and grab their bikes. And there's a guy changing a tire. and His, his hat blows off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. He, he just disappears into the crowd. Oh, it's so lovely. I think the previous idea they had was, was for... To show him, you know, he gets off the phone call with Clarice, and then he's he's in the room with uh, Chilton, Chilton, strapped to a chair. Oh, okay. oh, and he says, "Shall we begin?" But this was kind of more fun because yeah, he's enjoying this stalking the, the hunt. Yeah, and he just disappears. He's just a, another person in the crowd, and yeah, with his disguise, his clever disguise. Yeah, I'm, I'm having an old friend for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I noticed uh, this time um, he f he felt like a supervillain. Um, he, he felt very much like a James Bond supervillain. I thought he the, was like the, the Riddler. The <laughs> ex-military uh, bearing. Mm. The, uh, you know, the way he has his own base. He has his lair. Uh, it, it, that looks different to everything else. Uh, you know, clean, well, he's cultured. You know, mm -hmm. you got the classical music, and uh, you know, he's the smartest guy in the room. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it just it, he felt very Bondy. I could see that for sure. Yeah, there, there's, um, there's probably a few degrees more that uh they that they could have gone with this whether it was um hopkins performance or demi's directing or something in the screenplay that that could have just gone a little too far but it seemed like they stopped short of going too far yeah. with it like yeah. it took some years and a rewatch to to be able to kind of put a finger on that so that means they at least got close to the line on it and i'm glad they did you know it's it's like why reel it in? It's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> he is yeah. a, he is a supervillain, and he is super smart and all that stuff. He's supposed to be 
the worst we can imagine. Right. But I like what you said about the Riddler. You know, he's yeah, because <laughs> he she does clues all the way through. She leaves that. He leaves that clue. His name is Lewis Friend, and she figures out it means like iron sulfide or something. It's like fool's gold. Yes. Like hot damn Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also, he says uh, it, he does that drawing of Florence. Uh huh. And it's uh it's the Duomo scene from the Belvedere, and Belvedere is the town that Buffalo Bill's in. Oh, oh, I didn't put that together. That's good. That's nice. Did you know? Bit of, who's who's the fellow who plays Buffalo Bill? He's really good. Oh, Ted uh, Levine. Ted Levine. That's yeah. It. He uh, he was freaked out because he comes from that town, and the town they the the house they used for his his the Buffalo Bill lair is right next to his high school girlfriend's. Home. Wow, <laughs> that is crazy! It's kind of one of those "what are the odds" kind of deals. I'm sure they didn't say, "Hey, Ted, you're from there. Why don't you uh, why don't you uh, tell the location scouts where to go for a good house?" Yeah, on it's mark of uh, on this. Maybe it's the script or or Hopkins' performance, but like you always talk about him. But Ted Levine is really good in this as well. Yeah, yeah. It's the, the I think the fact that his character is so gross and despicable, it's like you you have a respect and an admiration for Hannibal Lecter, but this other guy is just gross. Yeah, because like Lecter, he 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 gets because you you see the the doofus uh, guy hitting on Clarice, he's he's like really loathsome, and then you get to meet uh, Hannibal Lecter, and he's respectful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. smart, and uh, so it, it kind of play. It kind of plays him for likable, yeah, uh, as well as being terrifying. Right, yeah. It is how refined he is, and all of this. But yeah, Buffalo Bill is is uh, no one's going to like him anywhere at any time. At at best, he's going to pass himself off as somewhat normal. At best. You know, if he goes to the grocery store and doesn't do or say anything except get the groceries and pay for them, then, he, you know, but as soon as he does it or says anything, it's going to be like, oh, that guy was creepy. Yeah, because he, he's, he's, uh, he's someone who's always trying to be someone else. Yeah. So he's got all these different identities. You see all these different clues. Like he's, you know, he's even trying to, to uh, pretend to be a woman at certain points. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, he's trying to be a, uh, some kind of white supremacist at some, you know, he's got the, that history yeah. going on. Yeah. You know, he's tried all these different personas on because he, he, he's not himself or he doesn't want to be himself. Yeah. He, he's maybe searching for his identity or maybe he's really trying to stuff it down by taking on other identities. Uh, the part where he's putting on his makeup and has apparently somebody's scalp on as a wig and he's dancing in front of the mirror like a lot of people, you know, want to want to talk about that one for laughs. And I, I had a friend years ago who used to refer to that as the tuck. <laughs> you know that whole move that he does, where yeah, yeah. You know, I don't think I need to say more than that. But uh, people will, you know, laugh about this scene. But then, you know, there's there are plenty of people in our society who have to be concerned about. Uh, scenes like that making mm-hmm. trans people making um you know any number of different people yeah. uh, uh villains and you know disney's done it for years every single one of their villains has 
uh, sort of an uh, effeminate uh, way about them or something that is stereotypically gay. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're taking a long time to get past this. So I can't say, you know, that that seems hilarious because he's so weird and so gross. No, he's troubled and he's searching for an identity and he's not sure what he is. Yeah, the movie does say verbally that he's not transsexual or transvestite. Yeah, I was but. kind of worried. Uh, I didn't remember that little bit, but I'm kind of glad they did put that in. I mean, yeah, as as little of a, you know redeeming moment redeeming moment yeah exactly that they could have because yeah he's another yeah it felt like transsexual they were, they were covering themselves more than because i felt that like you don't see that much of him but for a lot of the time that you see him he's he's putting on makeup he's mm-hmm. trying to look like a woman so it, yeah so that's the powerful thing that stays with you exactly yeah one line about him not being a true transsexual no, no. yeah it was kind of a cover now, what was his thing with um, he when he's doing that scene? He says, "I'm a beautiful butterfly," and all that stuff. He sa- he says that, and he doesn't keep butterflies. He keeps death head moths, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Like, uh, like what's going on with that? Uh, I think he's um, he, he's he's something transforming into something else. Well, yeah, yeah. There's the whole chrysalis thing, but. But uh, if he's obsessed with being a butterfly, then why the moth? <laughs> Maybe it's because they're rare and unusual and they represent death with the you know, the skull marking on them or whatever. I'm just glad they used real moths. Because if they made this now, they'd all be CGI'd. Oh. <laughs> and it, you'd be able to tell. It would yeah. be the worst thing ever. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure the intro to Clarice, you can get a good look at some CGI moths, mm. yeah, which they they keep it's that. It's for the intro. Yeah, it's confined to the intro, and you expect that from an intro now. Yeah, but yeah. Um, but in in these in these times, um, they had to have a moth wrangler. You saw them in the credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, people who would handle like specific kind of bugs, and then people who would have to advise someone on the script like don't say this dumb thing you have to say the sciencey thing that's r- correct yeah there were a couple entomologists on the yeah. cast I yeah saw. yeah um, so um well on the poster you know the famous poster with the mm-hmm. moth over her mouth and it has that the death's head is formed out of na- naked women yeah yeah the famous dolly picture yes, from dolly yeah uh, enveloped as moss yeah and uh, that was also used in the poster for The Descent. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, that. <laughs> I used to have that on a T-shirt, believe it or not. Oh. Yeah. I'm, I'm a Salvador Dali uh, fan, for lack of a better term. I support his decisions. Most of them. <laughs> I support his <laughs> Most of Salvador Dali's decisions. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> His choices? I don't know. Um, so, guys, uh, we get to the satisfying ending, and then the, 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 you know, the satisfying ending, then the other satisfying ending, which is, you know, the long scene of Lecter disappearing into the crowd to go get that loathsome doctor and, you know, have him for dinner. Uh, how, how satisfied were you two with uh, the rewatch all these years later? Very. Yeah, Jolene. Excellent film. 
Yeah. Yeah. But same, it all worked out. Same here. I don't think I've seen it in maybe six or eight years, like from before we did, you know, started the podcast. And I couldn't be happier. Like I went a few weeks ago to Twist and Shout to just support local business. Went to the um, used uh, movies section and bought this on Blu-ray and it looks gorgeous. It's so clean. I didn't watch any of the extra features. It's a little speckly when, when there's text on the screen, I noticed. Yeah, they can't really clean that up without doing a whole restoration, huh? Yeah. Yeah, titles are always a weird thing because they had to always mat that over or whatever they call that. Like even even as you know recent as uh, nineteen ninety one. I think it's actually they finished making it in nineteen ninety, but they delayed it because of it was, they were promoting another film. Yeah, I forget what it was at the time. That was was going to be their big movie, Dances with the Wolves. Mm. Oh, okay. So this was delayed. They're like That's well, probably a good yeah. choice. They didn't think it would play big. Because it was so gruesome. Oh, okay. That kind of makes sense. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll let everybody get over that one, and then we'll do this one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can say I recommend this one to horror fans. Uh, you know, don't let anyone tell you it's a quote-unquote thriller, because that's just a, that's just a thing that people like to say when they, when they want to just denounce uh, horror because they think it's shoddy or, or cheap or whatever it is people think. But... Uh, yeah, this one definitely, definitely recommend. I don't know. I think thriller and horror are different. Well, sometimes people... I think thriller, typically, it's an implied threat. Okay. That's sort of constant, as opposed to horror, where it's an actual threat. And, and actually carried out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that could be a good way to define one from the other. But there are... I guess my point is there. There are, are people who are like, hey, it's not a horror movie. Don't call my movie a horror movie. When, when this was up for consideration for the awards, they wouldn't let um, Fangoria cover it. Really? Because they didn't want it to be seen as a horror just movie? a horror movie. They didn't want to cheapen it. <laughs> oh, well. Well, I think it's a procedural until she gets to the house. And then it turns into a horror oh, movie. Oh, yeah. I can remember the audience like when he's. When you realize that he's his he's got night his vision. night vision on and she doesn't know what's going on, yeah, I remember the audience just freaking out. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, you weren't sure she was going to make it. Yeah. Um, Julian, you have the next pick. Yep. Have you picked one yet? Yeah, I thought we'd uh, return to the summer slaughter. Yeah. Uh, theme. <laughs> so, uh, how about Blood Beach? Blood Beach sounds great. All right, so Blood Beach it is, and uh, hopefully our listeners uh, will be back for that one, and uh, we'll all have a a nice uh, sunny time at Blood Beach. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Well, uh, listeners, once again, thank you for listening. Stay off the moors.